morning again. Uh, I have to say, I'm fairly certain that my parents are going to watch this, and I think they would be the first to tell you that I was not the easiest child to raise. I know that surprises many of you. Um, but I have a distinct memory of my mother telling me that I was great as long as I was getting my way. Uh, maybe you had that same experience, but I, 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 when I did not get what I wanted, I can remember, I mean, I was, I was difficult, truly. I, I fought, I clawed, I whined, I yelled, I wanted what I wanted. And I was kind of a brat, you know, looking back on it. So, sorry, Mom. Um, you know, when the TV got taken away or uh, they made me eat something that wasn't my favorite thing or when my dad took my mom's side without even listening to my side of the story, I would get bent out of shape real, real quick. Um, I'll never treat my child that way, I used to always say. Well, now I have children, and i got to tell you, I treat my children that way all the time. Now, why is that? It is because I love them just like my parents love me. The things that they made me do or the things they made me go through, they knew they were good for me, even if I didn't have the perspective to see it. At the time, to me, in my immature self, it's, it felt mean, it felt unloving. But in fact, they loved me so much that they were willing to put up with my whining and my insolence to make sure that I got what I needed. Now, I didn't like eating my vegetables then, but I'm sure glad I did now. I didn't like that my dad always sided with my mom, but now I'm so thankful for the example they gave to me of a united marriage. So thanks, mom and dad. But it's often like that with God, isn't it? Sometimes we don't like the things that we have to go through but we simply do not have God's perspective. We cannot see how he's actually loving us by taking us through a difficult season. We can't see how there could be any good in this thing, even if uh, we were to look at it from his eternal perspective. But the truth is we don't have his eternal perspective. God is good, and he is loving and merciful, just and by his mercy and kindness truly all things do work for the good of those who love the Lord. Our passage that Father Trent read from the Gospel of John the 11th chapter is the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And in this famous story we see that Jesus allows this family to go through something terrible, the death of Lazarus because he loves them because he loves them. The story begins, uh, and Mary and Martha, uh, who along with their brother Lazarus, they, um, they send word to Jesus that Lazarus is very sick, very ill. This family was very, apparently very close to Jesus, uh, like so many. They had been touched by his ministry. They may have also been financial supporters of his ministry. But there was this special relationship that they had with Jesus. And when Jesus hears from the messenger, he actually says to the 
the disciples that this illness will not end in death. And of course, it doesn't. But it will end in the glory of God and in the glory of the Son of God, which, of course, is Jesus. Now, the disciples, of course, would have assumed that Jesus is saying that Lazarus would be healed. Lazarus would be healed. Verse 5 says this, Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, now, how would you finish that sentence? Jesus loved them. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he ran. He got moving. He prayed that the Father would heal him. He sent Lazarus a get well card, something. But no. It says he loved them so, or therefore, when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. John seems to be saying that Jesus' love for this family led him to seeming inaction. And the way I see it, we have only two options. Either Jesus just didn't understand what love is, or he is in absolute and complete control with a divine and eternal grasp on the situation that the disciples could not have hoped to achieve. Now, of course, of course, Jesus understands what love is. In fact, Jesus is love. But so firm was his knowledge and control of the situation that he lets it go beyond what any of the disciples could have believed. Let's it go beyond the last shred of hope that Mary and Martha would have had. When Jesus announces to the disciples that Lazarus died, they would have, I imagine, had some like a sort of grief-stricken embarrassment at Jesus' miscalculation. They thought when they were headed to Bethany, they were headed to a funeral. But Jesus knew that they were headed to see glory for themselves. So when they're approaching Bethany, the first thing we see is that Martha runs out to him. This is Martha who, remember, uh, said to Jesus, get Mary in here and help me in the kitchen. The same Martha. And she runs out to him first and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's grieving. She wants the things She wants things to be the way that they used to be. She wishes Jesus had shown up in time. Now she says, I still have faith in you. I mean, I still know that God is going to give you whatever you ask, but essentially what she's saying is, but I'm sad. And I sure wish you had gotten here sooner. And Jesus offers her this famous I am statement. I am the resurrection and the life. Which means, says Jesus, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Though he die, yet shall he live. Now, Martha could not have expected what was about to happen. But nevertheless, Jesus' words are incredibly assuring to Martha. Uh, And they should be incredibly assuring to us. That Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He has come to defeat death. Death will not have the last word for those who believe in him. Actual, physical death will not have the last word, but neither will 
spiritual or emotional deaths. And we've all had a lot of those lately, haven't we? I'm thinking of things like unmet expectations. Things like uh, we've had the things that we've had to give up against our will. And, and you can fill in the blank for yourself on that one. But Jesus is the resurrection and the life. For the Christian, or for anyone who would choose to put their faith in him now, the best life comes on the other side of death. And the second thing that we see is that after Mary, uh, after Martha comes to Jesus, Mary comes. Now, of course, this is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is Mary of Bethany, Martha's sister and Jesus' friend. This is the faithful sister that we saw sitting at the feet of Jesus in another passage. And Mary says the same thing to him that her sister did. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But instead of giving her a testimony, which is what Martha needed, he gave Mary what she needed. He gave Mary tears. Jesus wept. Now the scripture says, that Jesus was greatly disturbed and deeply moved. We hear that and we think that maybe he's sad or he's touched at the love that Mary had uh, for, uh, for Lazarus when, when he sees her weeping. But actually in the original language, we look at that word. The word here actually implies that he's angry. In fact, this was the word that they used when a horse would snort and stamp its feet and rear up. It's, it's visceral. He's greatly disturbed in his spirit. He's, he's not mad at Mary. He's not mad at the disciples. He's not mad at himself. Jesus is mad at death. He's mad at death because he created us for life. He is the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is the bread of life. He is the water of life. Jesus is life. And he came to overthrow death by his own death. Jesus is mad at death. He's mad at the grief and the fear that death causes. But remember, remember, he waited Originally, in the place where they were, he waited so that this would happen. Because through it, on the other side of it, it would bring glory to God. Now, that tells us something, friends. It tells us that Jesus is so good, that he loves us so much, and that he is so powerful that he is even willing to use the things that he hates to give us what he knows we need. You know, like in a, in a much more trivial sense. I, I would kind of, I'd rather give my kids what they want all the time. It would sure make life easier in the moment for me, but it actually would be terrible for them. And I think they might actually turn into Cheetos on the couch if I did that. So I'm willing to take them through a moment of anger, a moment of disappointment, in order to help form their character for later, just like my parents did with me. Jesus takes us through the hard times, surely like the one that we're all in right now, in order to get us to 
to the glory. So Jesus stands before the tomb of Lazarus, the tomb in which Lazarus' body had been for four days, and remember Martha says, Jesus, it's going to stink. And Jesus calls him out. He calls him out. Not just out of the tomb, but out of death itself. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And whoever lives and believes in him, though he die like Lazarus did, yet shall he live. Now, of course, this resuscitation or even resurrection of Lazarus, that it principally points us to Jesus' own resurrection and his final victory over death and his resurrection, and it points us to our own eternal hope. But I'll tell you, i got to tell you what I've been really wondering about. I've been wondering, what was Lazarus' life like after Jesus called him out of the tomb? I mean, before he died, when he was sick, he probably just wanted to get better so that life could go back to the way it was before. But after he died, and he was given this new, miraculous life, could he have possibly just returned to the old, normal life? Could things possibly have just been the way they were before? Surely, having gone through that death and having heard the call of Jesus to life, each moment was more precious. Each hug more meaningful. Each meal tasted better. Each sunrise seemed brighter. And I just imagine that for the, for the uh, experience of, of Lazarus, that the experience of death surely made the experience of life that much sweeter. Lazarus would not have wanted to go back to the old normal life, to the way things used to be. Death brought a clarity that he could have gained no other way. Jesus, as the resurrection and the life, was no longer theoretical or theological even, but Jesus, as the resurrection and the life, became the very lens through which all of his life was now to be viewed. And I don't think Lazarus would have wanted to live any other way. I believe that Lazarus would have been grateful that he had gone through that death and been called to new life. And I'm wondering what it's going to be like for us, having walked through this sort of global valley of the shadow of death, that our experience of life is viewed with, will be viewed when we're on the other side with much more vivid clarity. With it, it will be viewed through the lens of Jesus Christ as the resurrection and the life. That hugs will be warmer. Handshakes will just be more precious. Large gatherings will be appreciated for what they are as a gift to us. Teachers will be loved and doted on. And we will give thanks for our jobs and for the purpose that they give us. We will love more intentionally because we have walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And we have come to see that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. I've got to believe that Jesus is allowing us to go through this to get us to the glory that he has in store for us. So let's get ourselves ready 
not to return to the way life was before, but to embrace the glory of the life that awaits us. Jesus is the resurrection and the life.